we're going to continue digging in Genesis. And uh, coincidentally, you know, right before church, Scott and I were talking baseball and golf. And this is something I've learned about golf. If you want a good golf game, you got to go dig it out of the ground. And, and that's why a lot of people give up on golf because a lot of us don't like digging. And we really don't like digging in northwest Oklahoma where the ground's like concrete. So if you want a really great golf game, you got to go play outside of this area because the ground's easier to dig. But we're, we're digging in Genesis and allowing God to reveal himself through the stories that, that we've read over and over and over. And, and we've almost been lulled to sleep on these stories and and a lot of times we're we're guilty as the new testament church of just discarding the old testament when you know the new testament if you're really going to understand what paul was writing to the churches in the new testament you have to understand where they're coming from and their entire culture was based on the teachings of the old testament and very directly tied to genesis so with, with that in mind, we're going to take our, our predetermined ideas and we're going to set them over here for a minute. You can pick them back up when you walk out the door, but we, we want to look at this like we've never seen this story before because it's one of the most familiar stories of Genesis and it's the flood. But we're going to title this message, He Set His Bow in the Clouds. Now, quick reminder, quick taking you back in case you, you've slept since then or you slept through the sermon, either way. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is an introduction to the narrative of the gospel. It's the introduction where God is laying the stage over and over again. And if, if you took the time to really go break down the Hebrew, you would see that it just keeps taking these flights of stairs up and the same flights down. And, and I told you many, many weeks ago about the literary term of the chiasm. Genesis is full of chiasms. And Genesis 1 through 11 is a giant chiasm. And I won't take you through the nerdy breakdown of that because I'm the nerd. I'll be the nerd for you, but you'll see that it's there if you ever take the time. And in the middle of the chiasm, of Genesis 1 through 11. Smack dab in the middle of it in Hebrew is one word and one name, and that name is Noah. Blew my mind that in the very middle of it all was Noah, and Noah's name is He Will Bring Rest. Whoa. Okay, that, that gives me chills anytime that God specifically orchestrated a writing around he will bring rest. Because what did Jesus do for us? He brought rest. Okay, this was a, a foreshadowing of foreshadowing of foreshadowings. And I'm not telling you Noah's perfect. Okay, I'm going to have to do an entirely separate podcast on it because uh, we're not really set up to send all the children out of the room for the part five, which is a misplaced curse. And the reason that Noah will end up cursing his grandson. 
and uh, I am I have the notes ready. I'm going to record that podcast and release it this week. If you need help finding that podcast, let me know. I'll I'll get it to you because it's a a powerful story of of a, a guy that got it so right and then in a heated moment got it so wrong. And it's a great reflection of who we are as people that we can do so many great things in the moment that we let our guard down, we can blow it. And God's still gracious to Noah when he blows it. But we got to get back into the story. Almost every ancient culture has their version of the flood story. There's, I started to research them and, and I really figured I was going to get off in the weeds if I stayed there. Because, I mean, uh, ancient Hawaiians had a version of the flood. Okay, that's closest to home that I knew of. You know, the Mayans, the Incas, they had a version of the flood. The Chinese culture had a version of the flood. The oldest written down version of the flood is in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that is the closest regionally, story-wise, to the story of the flood that Moses will write down. And, and I want you to understand, all of these other stories have a common running theme that, that man being rescued from the flood was an act of defiance to God. Or that other gods were helping mankind defy their will to destroy the world. Genesis is the only account where God steps in and saves mankind. And wrongfully so, in, in the modern church world, we say that this is a story of God's wrath. I think we're entirely wrong. It's a story of God's mercy. Now, can God's mercy be wrathful? These are the questions I struggle with, and I hope you do too. Because why would God send people to hell? Because they chose to go there, and he loved them enough to let them choose what they want. His wrath is, yes, you will be destroyed in hell. But his mercy says, I've made a way out. You don't have to choose that. The story of Noah is vastly different than any other story. And the reason that God has the writer or writers of Genesis, we like to say it's Moses, but there's times it sounds like somebody else is writing part of the story. Uh, I'll leave that up to the real scholars to go figure out. I'm going to say Moses wrote it. But the, the story is vastly different because God is going to show mercy to Noah. And God is, is going to have that moment where he says, it's enough. I don't need to wipe out everything. I know where the limits are. But uh, verses 1 through 4 of Genesis 6, that's a future podcast I'm working on. Because again, it's very adult in content. Uh, and it's right now for me, it's more questions than answers. If you get in Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you'll look at it. It talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim or the Nephilites. There's more questions there for me than answers because the text doesn't really break it down. And, you know, my very 
very simplistic nature says God's going ahead and showing our, our Western culture that the genetic disposition for giants is in the world. Because some of the information we never get is the lineage of Noah's daughter-in-laws. So could they in fact be some of the children who have genetic codes for giants that we will see later in Genesis? I don't know. We'll see giants all the way through Kings and Chronicles. But anyways, uh, too much Old Testament and once. I don't have enough answers there, so that's going to be a future coming thing. And it may be a 10-minute thing where I get on there and tell you, I can't find any answers. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Ouch. I mean, that's a lot harsher than Bill Cosby's. I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out. I mean, uh, I had to do some digging on that because I thought, man, this is God openly saying, I wish I'd never made these people. That doesn't sound like God at all. But we have to look at it. it and the word there for saw is re'ah, which means God looked intently at the world he created. He spent some time looking at it and really thinking about it. And it says that God saw the thoughts and the imaginations of men. Okay, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a free sidebar. God sees your thoughts and your imaginations. Might be a good thing to invite God into those places so that you're not continually like the people in the days of Noah, which is a generation in which we're living. Okay, you'll run into that prophecy in the New Testament that it will be just as it was in the days of Noah. How was it? Their thoughts and their imaginations were consistently and constantly evil. Our world's pretty bad and messed up. And it's going to get worse. Verse 6, it talks about, and you have to go to the Hebrew to get this, that God breathed strongly. And I warned my wife I was going to use her as a sermon illustration because she never sees herself do this. But when the kids have pushed her too far, and my kids will start shaking their heads because they will recognize this body language of their mother. She will clench her fist at her side and she will take a deep breath. <gasps> and that is the, the gift of heaven right there. When I see that happen, I go to the other room. Okay, when, when you see that happen, children, it should set off alarms in your head that say, run! Because you're about to get the version of mom you're not going to like. And guess what? According to the Hebrew, God did that too. 
God did that. He took that deep breath and he looked at mankind with grief and pity. The word that's constantly missing from this narrative in the Hebrew is wrath and anger. It's not in the story if you go read through the Hebrew. It's grief and pity. That kind of messes up the story for me. Because I thought God wiped out mankind because he was mad at him. He's not mad at him. His heart broke. God's looking at it and he takes that deep breath like, man, what have I done? Where did it go so wrong that these people, all they can think of is doing evil? How did my masterpiece go from very good to this? Now don't turn that around, okay? People tend to do that sometimes where we marry that perfect, beautiful creature and then you wake up one day and how did it come to this? Okay, that's a free bad joke, okay? I'm going to get beat up for that later, so... But God, He looks at it all and He plans to wipe it out. And, and there, there's no way around that in the Hebrew. His intention is to wipe the slate clean. But, I love those buts in Scripture. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked out and He... In that moment, and I've seen this happen in my household too, where what they did is just so aggravating. You get that clenched fist. And then you look over and you see that the reason they've made that mess is they were creating a piece of art for you. And suddenly your countenance changes a little bit. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Notice that if you go back, God was looking all over creation when he got mad and God looked at Noah and suddenly his countenance is changing. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Noah, and this is breaking it down from the Hebrew, was a righteous or a just man. He was the only blameless in his generation, which meant he was innocent and he had his integrity. Where everyone else in his generation was trying to lie, cheat, and steal their way to get ahead, Noah was honest. Noah was a man of integrity. That's what it meant to be blameless. And Noah walked with God. I want you to see the common theme throughout Throughout the early part of Genesis, what God desires most of anything else is that you walk with Him. You want to be a person who's going to be drifting towards the side of, of being blameless and innocent and having your integrity and being righteous in this generation. Be the person who walks with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I went and broke down their names. One of them, Shem means name. Ham means hot. We'll just, nah, we're not going there, okay? Because why would you name it anyway? 
We're going to keep going. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Look at how the story changes. God originally was looking at mankind and now God's looking at creation. And creation itself is going awry because the earth was filled with violence and it was corrupt. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them all with the earth. You've got to be a pretty good friend of God for him to tell you the plan. Especially when the plan is horrific sounding. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm done with them. The next verses, God goes on and tells Noah how to build the boat. And exactly the dimensions, what to do it with. And I want you to understand that several of the other flood stories have specifics about their boat. Okay, and the one that cracks me up, one of them was the Borg, if you're a Star Trek fan. They built a cube. And I'm just telling you, if you set a cube in the water, everything in it is going to die. Because it's going to get tossed and turned, shaken and beat to death. The cube thing doesn't work for me, but I found it really funny. Uh, Anyway, I, I'm going to chase a lot of squirrels today. Just brace yourself. Uh, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which, is, which within, is, is another way it phrased, the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. I, I could take the route of talking about why all of the fossils are in the same layer, you know, I could take the scientific approach. We're not here for that today, but it's all out there. There's guys that have done tremendous research that scientifically can prove the flood happened. If you want that part of the story, go get it. But the part of the story I'm here to tell you today is that God had a plan throughout all of this. It wasn't, I'm going to do away with mankind. It wasn't, I'm going to do away with creation. It was... The evil had gotten to the point where God hit the reset button. And if you didn't grow up in the Nintendo era, you don't know how valuable the reset button is. Okay, when you know certain games, you hit the reset button and the power button at the same time, it saved your progress. Which anyways, that, that's a squirrel. <clears throat> but God tells Noah, he uses this phrase, behold. And, and behold in the Hebrew is Hanei. Okay, you almost sound like you're stuttering. But this is the first time in Scripture that God uses a very specific call to attention. And He tells Noah, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. You need to pay attention. And we're going to see that same phrase come up when we talk about Abraham. It's going to be a really beautiful tie back to the fact that God will ask you to pay attention for the sake of keeping you safe, for the sake of drawing you closer to Him. Okay? God wants us to pay attention. In the New Testament, it sounds like phrases of be alert, be awake, don't be sleeping, wake up, O sleeper. Okay? Those same phrases have been used consistently throughout Scripture, but we have to find them. Hey, pay attention because... I'm going to destroy all flesh. And the Hebrew phrasing for that is the same phrasing as I'm about to breathe out. He took in that breath of frustration 
And let me tell you, when my wife breathes in that breath of frustration, she always breathes out. She doesn't hold it till she passes out. It would probably go better for our kids at times if mom and dad would hold it till we pass out. But she let it out. And I want you to understand, God let it out. God let out his frustration and his grief. And he held true to his promise because God's word means something. When God says, I'm going to wipe out all the earth, he meant, I'm going to wipe them out. But after he let out that breath in scripture, the next thing he says, but I will establish my covenant with you. This is one of the, this is the first covenant in scripture. Uh, we, we like to talk about the old covenant, the new covenant, and we don't even understand covenant. But I, I'm telling you, the more you learn about covenant, the more you understand what Jesus did, and the more you appreciate the fact that he used the phrase covenant. But God says, I'll establish my covenant with you and you will come to the ark. You, your sons, your wives, your sons' wives with you. And he goes on into this great description of bring pairs of every kind of animal, male and female. Another rabbit we could chase. I, I could chase the biology rabbit a long way. I really thought about, for the sake of all my cattle people in here, bring breeding pairs, but I didn't. So anyways, it's very simple. Bring pairs of animals, keep them alive, and bring food for you and your family. It's a very easy set of scripture. There's nothing tricky hidden in the Hebrew. In chapter 7, and we're going through a lot of scripture. You're going to have to go back and read some on your own. Yay! But... It, it opens with a command to bring specific animals for sacrifice too. We, we oftentimes overlook this group of animals because we're, we've been lulled to sleep with the two by two. The two by two. And if you're the third monkey on the ramp and it's starting to rain, you better learn how to fight. But uh, that's all backwards. But, you know. We don't hear about these animals that were brought for sacrifice. God commanded him ahead of time. How much sacrifice have we dealt with prior to this? The only time we saw it in Scripture was Abel. It's the only time we saw it, but it was probably pretty culture-wide that that's how they made worship to gods. Not just to God, because there were many, many religions at that point too. But this is probably the heart of the whole thing. And Noah did what God said. Does it get any easier than that? Of course, people would be like, yeah, you're not going to be the pastor very long if all you ever do is get up there and preach, do what God said. It's the most simple and powerful message in the whole text. And Noah did what God said. How different does your life look every day if you just do what God said? Anyway, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. This is after, after the flood. Okay, I'm skipping over all the details of the flood. If you want to go read about it, I, I decided it would be torture to come into a group of farmers and ranchers and just talk about rain, rain, rain. 
the fountains of the deep opened up, the heavens, the windows of heaven opened up, and there was just water, 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 water. Okay, that's a terrible thing to say to people in a drought. So we're missing that part. Okay, you can go read it. Maybe while it's raining tonight, you can sit down and read that. Okay. But in chapter 8, verses 15 through 19, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. And there's a whole lot of interesting stuff near the end of this uh, flood period where God sent, Noah sends a raven out. Okay, Blackbirds are highly unpredictable because they'll just get up there and float forever and ever and ever. Okay, If you ever watch buzzards, they get up there on those wind currents. They're not coming down until they have to. That was a bad choice on Noah's part. He picked the wrong bird. Now, dove? Dove are kind of fat-bellied, and they need to land a little more often. And they're delicious, wrapped in bacon with jalapeno. Uh, but <clears throat> he starts sending dove out, and the dove will come back if there's nothing to land on. Then the dove, who's notorious for nesting as well, brings back the olive branch. So we know that there's dry ground, and by virtue of an olive branch, what else do we know? There's plants that God has already started to refill creation. But God commands him to leave the ark. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps. What a great description. Creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons, his wives, his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. One of the things that we're going to see consistently by people who are walking with God is when something great happens, happens in their life, their immediate response is to build an altar to God and to worship. Now, I'm not saying every time something goes great, you know, if we get a good rain tonight, doesn't mean you need to pile up stones in your driveway and kill the fatted calf. If you do, call me for the barbecue, I'm coming. But you don't have to do that. But our modern, our modern livelihood is, is we need to stop when God does something good and tell people about it. And, and don't just say that, you know, that, that revival of 1963 is, uh, you know, you can't live on 1963's revival. We're called to keep going forward. He built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is... The post-flood version of God saying, I understand. I understand. 
why hasn't God sent Jesus back yet? Because He wants us to have a chance. He understands. Right there, He said it point blank. I'll never curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his birth. You were born with that. God outlines it for us right there. And God, in that moment, reset creation, and He commands over and over through this passage of Scripture. And you need to get that. This command comes over and over. He tells all of the animals coming off the ark, be fruitful and multiply, swarm the earth. He tells Noah and his family multiple times after they come off the ark, be fruitful and multiply. You have to have that knowledge base going into the next, into the little podcast for this week. Okay, podcast is not for children. It's not for children. It is graphically adult. Okay, and if you don't like graphically adult, then you will hate the Old Testament and you will not like your pastor because I love the Old Testament because it is real and raw and powerful. Be fruitful and multiply. And that's not why we have five kids. I didn't read that scripture over and over just so you know. <laughs> then Noah said to his sons with him, and then God said to Noah, and to his sons with him. He talks to Noah and his sons. Behold, I establish my covenant with you. And your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark, for it is for every beast of the earth. Now, I want you to understand, my whole childhood growing up, I never heard that this covenant was with everything. I always heard it was this covenant with man. It doesn't really work if you read the Scripture. He said, I'm making this covenant with all of you. Everybody that's getting off the boat gets this covenant. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for future generations. God said, this is the covenant I make between you and every creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, I want you to understand, it's not, I've set the rainbow. We like, to, we like to tie the two together. We've set the rainbow there. No. God said, I set my bow there. And what was a bow in the ancient world? What's a bow today? Some of you guys, Jason's thinking a bow's a taste, a, a good tool to go get some tasty meat. Okay, a bow back then was the longest reaching weapon of destruction that a person had. It was the death you could not see coming, according to the ancient culture. It was one of the most feared weapons of the ancient world. Why does God set a bow? 
facing away from earth. I'm not hunting you. I'm not here to take you out from a distance. I'm not here to destroy you. I've set my bow in the clouds as a symbol of not at war with you. The weapon you're most afraid of is the symbol I'm using to sign a contract with you. Why the bow? Take what they fear the most and make it a symbol of peace. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God said, I will remember. That, that's a funny thing for an all-knowing God to say. I will remember. Could God forget? Uh, we shake our head no, but actually he can. He said, I'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember it no more. God can choose to forget. And we forget about that when we read the Old Testament. We just glaze over this phrase, I will remember. God set that there, not just as a I will remember, but if, if you are the person who writes out the contract, and that's what a covenant is, it's a contract. If you're the holder of the contract, you want to remember, don't you? If, if I have a, a contract or a deed for a piece of land, I want to remember where that is. God is saying to Noah and his children and to all of creation, I'm the keeper of the contract. I am, as we'll see in Exodus, that I am. I'm the guy in charge of this show. I set my bow in the clouds so that you know that I remember. Because when we read through the Old Testament, how many times will it say the children of Israel forgot or the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord? Over and over and over, we'll see that. They forget the contract. But does God ever forget the contract that He put out? Does God forget the contract that we have in Jesus' blood? Never. The flood is a story of God's mercy and never-ending desire to reconcile man to the relationship they had in Eden. God reset the whole world. And if you go back, you'll read even more details about how God said every animal that moves on the earth is for your food now. You can eat them. And any animal that kills you, the blood of men will be held account to that animal and men will hunt that animal. You know why we kill every other predator? Somewhere along the line, they killed a man. And we got scripture to back it up. Coyote season's on, dude. There's a smile. Yeah. <clears throat> Somewhere along the lines, one of, those, one of those dudes killed a man, I'm just telling you. Big cats, they show up in this area, they killed people. 
Jason, I'm not telling people to break the law, I promise, but he's like, you're good. You're good. Just shoot him. Call me. I'll come pick him up. And that's why animals taste so good, just as a free note. <clears throat> they really do. But God gets a bad rap for the flood story. Can you think of something more merciful than to stop people from fulfilling all of the evil that they had in their heart? If every single thought and imagination they had was evil, and a God whose every single thought and imagination is righteous and holy, could they coexist? No. And the one man who was just and righteous and innocent and blameless, who was seeking after God, was who God said, I'm going to start over with you. And even then, God said, I recognize it. He said it to himself, but I recognize that in their heart, man has evil and they always will have it. They'll battle with it every day. But I love them enough, I'm going to start over. And we start over with Noah. And I had a class that we, we sat down one time and broke down the math that you know, Noah had these three sons and he was 600 years old. So if, if people are living long life and gradually getting shorter lives, uh, we did all the math and it, it would only take about eight generations to reach over like six million people on the earth. And I don't want I don't want to put that on anybody, but you know we were averaging that people probably had fourteen to sixteen kids. But you know, anyway, we we won't get into the science of that. But they repopulate the earth very quickly. And the podcast will cover the misplaced curse of Noah, and we're going to come right back in at the Tower of Babel. And a fresh look at that if you want to be reading ahead and looking at the Tower of Babel and and try and, and take off the, the science goggles of the Western world and just read it thinking, you know, what's the big deal here? What's the story, God? What, what are you telling me that fits me? Because what fits us in the story of Noah? We serve the God who is still the God of that covenant. He never broke that covenant. He never will. We serve a God who wants to use people who are righteous. People who are men and women of integrity that are blameless in a generation whose thoughts and imaginations are constantly drawn to evil. It's amazing. Something that was written thousands of years before Jesus was crucified it fits today. Be the person who walks with God. Heavenly Father, thank you.